Before we start, a quick word about Ram Windows, a brand partner we use in just about every home we build. These are sleek, energy-efficient, long-standing aluminum windows that I think are the best value out there, period. That's why we use them. These windows are nice enough to put in the three to $5 million homes we build, but they're also priced so that a range of budgets can afford them. And beyond the windows, one of my favorite things about the company, they are proudly made right here in the great state of Texas. And y'all know how we do things around here. Not that I'm biased or anything. If you happen to be in the Lone Star State, come visit, check them out for yourself in either their Houston, Dallas, or Austin showroom. You can also check them out online, ramwindows.com. That's R-A-M windows.com. They can ship just about anywhere also. Tell them I sent you. This episode is brought to you by Lowe's and their Lowe's for Pros program. I've been a customer of Lowe's for years, and I've also been a big fan of theirs given what they're doing to help contractors within our industry, something that, as you all know, aligns with my mission. Now, this Lowe's for Pros program is absolutely something worth checking out. My company's enrolled in it. We love it. It gives us access to things like quick ordering, bulk savings, special deals, spending tracking, financing solutions, the list goes on. Check out the link in the show notes, or you can search Lowe's for Pros to learn more about these programs, perks, and incentives that Lowe's is offering to help builders and contractors like you and me. Today, we get the opportunity to sit down with Luke Mesger, owner and the man in charge at Mesger Homes. We talk about how to recruit top talent, how to retain your team, and some ideas to build a unified company culture. All very pertinent topics right now. A little background on Luke. I've known him for a while. He is one of my favorite builders here in the Austin market. The guy builds high-end custom homes in the nicest neighborhoods around town, and he also has a very strong reputation with architects and builders alike. He's also the type of person who wants to see others in the industry succeed. So you'll see that in the interview as he's very open about what works for him and what doesn't. Y'all take a listen and let me know what you think. Let's kick this off with a question right to the heart of it right now. And that is, what is your biggest challenge as a custom home builder in this current environment? Yeah, right now it's just getting subcontractors to show up and trying to have any semblance of a construction schedule uh, going. That's, that's the biggest challenge right now. Luckily, I'm not trying to hire someone right now because I would change my answer if that was the case. I absolutely loathe the hiring process. <laughs> I was thinking back, uh, you know, earlier today, thinking about our conversation. I think I've had to do it 10 times. I think 08, 2008 was my first hire. And I've hired a, a couple of office managers and a few project managers since then, uh, some of which are still with me, which has been great. But yeah, 10 times I've gone through the process. So it's, it's a, I mean, I'm not a large company. It's not like I'm doing this a hundred times a year kind of deal. So each one's still unique. Uh, but anyway, right now I, I would say schedule. What about you? So for me too, it's funny because every social event I go to, I'm sure you get the same thing. It's a little tiresome where everybody's, Oh, you're a home builder. Well, man, the market must be great. And you just, my response is always the same. It's yeah, it's great. And I got this line that I use now. Um, and I say, look, it's almost like building right now is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's there and it's amazing to get there, but you still got to get to the end of the freaking rainbow first. And that is the challenge in this current market because you've got all these labor woes. You have, as you said, subcontractors that take weeks to show up and it's always something. I don't know what you're hearing, but so <laughs> as of Friday, four days ago at the recording of this episode, my director of construction called me and said, you won't believe this. The latest thing now is I'm hearing about a duct shortage. And so our HVAC rough-in isn't going to happen when we thought it was going to happen this next week. 
And he's like, oh, and by the way, I'm also hearing about possible PVC shortages coming down the line. So that's like a weekly conversation that we're having in our team right now. Just stuff like that, just ongoing. Yeah, yeah, that, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is a great analogy. It's, it's definitely there. You can see it. It's just you got to get there. And that's, I mean, honestly, I mean, that's why we have jobs. It's never easy. And so I don't think Amazon's ever going to take our job away. No, that's the truth. I mean, we're solving problems and presumably solving difficult problems. And so that is exactly why we have a job. If it was easy, everybody could do it. I will say, though, to add on to my answer. So, yes, I'm with you that labor woes are right up there for me. But um, we have had a lot of growth over the last year, which has been part of the plan. And um, we're looking to hire two new senior construction managers. And that has been kind of a, up until now, kind of an off and on initiative. We've been talking to a few people going pretty half-assed up until about the last month. We had a few jobs that got delayed because of city of Austin permitting. So we put it on hold temporarily, but uh, we're back on it now. We've tried a handful of methods and um, luckily I think we've got some strong candidates that we're talking to right now, but up until now, that has been an extremely difficult project to try to get a handle on because I, uh, every other hire I've ever made in the past has been maybe 10 times easier than this one. And right now it's that it's just hard to find. We've got really high standards. I know you guys do too. It's really hard to find that top talent that you're looking for. So I'll tell you a little bit about how we, um, some of our strategies on that, but you and I've talked recently about you've made some hires yourself or a hire, I think in the last few months, what has been your experience there? Yeah. So like I said, no one's ever the same. Uh, cause I'm not, I'm trying not to do this all the time. And so, you know, in the past I'll make an Instagram post and send it out to the masses and you know, it's, you get, you get everybody and their cousin sending you a resume. And even if you put descriptions like, Hey, listen, you should know if, if you're qualified for this job, you shouldn't ask what it entails. <laughs> um, if, if you're also qualified for this job, you should know roughly what the salary and benefits are going to be. Um, otherwise you're not the right candidate. So I've had, I've had some success with Instagram posts. I have yet to do like the Indeed or Monster route. The last I've had, I've paid two headhunters, um, both of which weren't like national firms or anything like that. Just friends that I knew through church that, you know, through the years of like, you know, they keep hooking their friends up with jobs. So they're like, man, I should try to make a business out of this. So, you know, professional headhunters and they, I mean, both of those hires have been fantastic. You do pay for it though. So those are going to run 15 to 20% of their yearly salary. And if you're a young company, that's a big chunk of change. I mean, you got to pony up, you know, 15 grand whenever you use a headhunter. That can that can be a tough pill to swallow. But hopefully that employee is going to be with you for, you know, three years and the, the cost of that eventually offset. Um, and also, I mean, if I can get someone that's not going to be a dud, like, I'll happily pay that. Like I've had, I've had fortunately only one really bad employee and I, I did not pay a headhunter for that one. And I think if I would have gone that route on that one, I probably, probably wouldn't have hired that one. So definitely worth the money and like the time it takes to interview and the time, I mean, no one's going to put bad references on the resume. So anyway, all said and done, I, I think, I think paying a headhunter that you can trust is a, is a wise investment. Yeah, that's actually the source of, well, likely the source of our two hires we're going to be making right now. So we just recently came around to talking to a headhunter and yeah, he's expensive. He's 20% of salary, but we're in a very niche industry where I think A, it pays to get a headhunter who knows custom home building and who understands and has a Rolodex of people in this trade. I could definitely see difference because I also talked to like a generalist at one point and it's, it was night and day difference. This guy was 20%. The generalist was 15, but we've already gotten a handful of good leads from him. And like what you said, I mean, it's a big chunk of change. It actually was a hard pill for me to swallow, but I came around to it after <laughs> trying 
to no avail on with some of my own methods. Yeah, um, absolutely. You, you know, if you look at it, I mean, it's a huge cost. It's a huge cost. But then if we apply it up to, you know, if we look at it through a lens of uh, cost versus value, which is what we're always preaching to our clients, right? I mean, it should be a good value for us, assuming that we get that right higher. So at the end of the day, if we can find somebody who's going to be with us for a few years minimum, then we're, we're good, right? We're golden. And so that's the way that I'm looking at it. That's the way I've kind of uh, settled on the analysis. There are two other things that we try that's worth mentioning to the audience, just in case this, uh, this could work for them before, if you've got time before you go the headhunter route, I do think that having signs on job sites, I'm a huge proponent, huge believer in that. We did get uh, one hire, a good hire in the past from a job sign. And it's just a hiring sign on your job site that explains why, uh, why someone should come work for you and at least enough to pique people's interest to log onto your website and yeah. check it out. Yeah, I was, uh, I've had success, like your current employees, like, hey, do you have a friend of yours that lives in Houston, lives in San Antonio? I think, you know, tapping into that current employee bucket, because usually, you know, birds of a feather flock together. If you've got a rock store or project manager, he's probably going to have friends that are quality as well. Um, I've made one hire through that, and that was easy. Like, you didn't have to pay 100 at all for that. And then uh, trades, like like send out an email to your top 10 trades. Be like, hey, do you guys know of a project manager that might not be happy at their current job or is wanting to move? You know, those guys, you know, might do a lot of production homes as well. And sometimes you can get a, a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience in the production world, but then he's just a rock star. And then he might have aspirations to not do cookie cutter homes anymore and uh, pick off some young talent, you know, when the, when the picking's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. We actually got one of our senior construction managers right now through that very system, reaching out to our trades. We, um, it was Erwin Bakke entered the waiting room. We're being hacked, man. Uh oh, uh oh, look out. <laughs> Deny that hacked. one. Yeah. Or it um, could be very interesting and let them in and we'll see what happens. <laughs> that could be funny. Yeah. No, but we, uh, so we got one of our top hires through that very system, we offered a reward. So reward money to our team and to our trade partners, our best trade partners for anybody that can help us find that, just make us a referral or an intro to the person we hire. So real simple system and it worked for us. So I think that's a wonderful way to go about it. Also, you can end up saving money off of a headhunter and if you're going through your trade base, you're presumably going to be kind of like what you said, birds of a feather flock together. You're going to end up talking to and attracting people that probably already do your caliber or type home anyway. Right. So that's the ancillary benefits of going with the whole trade partner route. So, yeah, that, I mean, those are my three, my three main systems. I don't think I can come up with anything else right now. I wish I could. Yeah. Um, we can talk about what you got to do in order to get them unless you want to pay. I'm hearing, you always hear ridiculous numbers like, yeah. you know, Oh, so-and-so I heard someone getting $150,000 for a PM job. And I'm mm -hmm. like, there's no way I can compete with that. One, you got to think like, Hey, if you do, if you're, if I'm in their shoes and like I get offered that money, I'm like, Ooh, that sounds really sexy and attractive, but like, what's my work environment going to be? Am I going to have that same job a year from now? Because maybe they're just throwing out crazy money to get some one person for one job. And then you're going to be unemployed in a year. You know, what's the team atmosphere there? You know, what are they, you know, how many jobs am I going to have for that $150,000? How much am I going to have to drive? You know, am I going to expect it to have to go out, you know, 200 miles round trip every day to manage some, you know, multi-million dollar ranch project? So that's, you know, I don't, I don't pay that much FYI. <laughs> we don't either. Yeah. Uh, but I try to, I try to entice those talents with, Hey, good work environment. You know, you're always going to be treated with respect here. I'm very lax on getting time off. 
you know, my guys have two to three jobs at the same time, depending on complexity. And, and all my jobs are in one kind of part of town. So you're not going to spend all day driving. And then just, I mean, we can take it from there to company culture too. Uh, but just, you know, hopefully if, if my employees were interviewed, they would say, no, I, you know, I might be offered more money somewhere else, but I really like where I'm working now and really like the team that I'm working with and, you know, having them weigh that non-monetary value uh, to, to keep, to keep teammates on board and to attract them. You know, they might be, I've had some people leave higher paying jobs to come work for me because they were tired of the, the high pace, high pressure, um, having to close 10 homes a month type of deal. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I've talked to a few people who I think are just chasing that $150,000, but the best candidates that I have found, the ones who are the veterans that I'm looking for and the guys who've been around the block and know the industry inside and out, those guys, at least in my experience, are not necessarily chasing the highest buck. They're chasing exactly what you're selling. And it's kind of ironic, but I'm selling pretty much the same thing you are. You and I are almost identical on that. So we're not at the absolute top of the market, but I think we offer other things that can compete with that, especially for somebody who really knows the business and knows the risks of it. They know that you go get on board with um, those gunslingers that are offering top, top, top dollar right now, but maybe kind of a startup company that, you know, really doesn't have a, a real stable financial system. Those are the guys that are quite possibly going to be laying them off here in a year or whatever. And a lot of the veterans, these top performers that I've seen, they already are aware of that and are willing to listen to someone like me or you about the some of the non-monetary value that they might get by going with one of our companies. So the culture that we can offer that anybody in our, you know, the building optical community can offer is paramount to success right now. You've got to weave that story about how, obviously we've got to be competitive with comp, but you got to weave a bigger story in my opinion. Otherwise you're just hiring mercenaries that are only there for comp. That's never going to work well. So I'm a big believer in offer, of offering ancillary benefits such as, I mean, for us, I've always been a big believer in saving for retirement. So we're just starting to roll out a 401k plan where we'll match a little bit. Uh, we've got really good other benefits such as we're very flexible with time off that employees have and we don't micromanage at all. We're very, we really push and disseminate power and decision making authority down to everybody on the team. And that is enough for a lot of people to come. Yeah, that's a really big one. I know one guy who was with a higher end builder making great money, but he got tired of not being able to make the decisions or, or, you know, the owner coming in every week making changes. And even though it's not like it was his fault, it was just, it was just demoralizing. Like I just spent a lot of time getting this figured out and everyone agreed that we wanted to do it and we did it. And then now you're coming in, you know, circumventing my authority and wanting to change it. It's just, yeah, yeah, that's huge. And it's tough as a home builder, because a lot of us have our last names on our business, just like you and me. We're perfectionists. We love the craft and what we do. So it's very easy to be a home builder who micromanages. And that's something that we probably should all be very aware of, just knowing that that's a very common thing in the industry and knowing that that's also something that will very much drive talent away from you and be something that will kill your employee retention, which is one of the most important things that we can be trying to strive for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I can talk a little bit about, so once you have someone that looks good on paper, you go out, you make the phone call, they're, uh, they're articulate. <laughs> they, they pass the sniff test with the phone call. Um, and then the in-person interview, do you have any common questions that you always ask? I'll say, man, my, my interviewing is, Absolutely. I, I give myself a C minus as an interviewer. Yeah. I tend to be really optimistic and I walk out of every interview thinking, all right, this is the hire we need. <laughs> He's the one. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every single time. So the good news, though, is that I'm aware of that myself. I was in my early days. I made a lot of bad hires probably because of that personality trait of mine. 
but now I've got a senior team around me of people that are much better interviewers, much more skeptical than I am. And that's why I don't ever leave myself to be the main interviewer. I have my team uh, go do that, Brian or Lindsay, someone like that. And it makes the world a difference because we end up being a lot more hard lines with who we hire and take a lot more time in that. So to circle back to your question, I mean, are there any are there any questions that we we ask? I mean, I know a few that are really big for Brian is understanding how we philosophically align with like our construction managers. So we want to know their system for scheduling. We want to know how they think about scheduling in advance, how they think about like critical path and what happens if there are uh, delays, if there are change ups in the schedule. We want to see how their mind operates there. So that's really important. Uh, and then conflict resolution with clients is very uh, is like a fundamental skill set for us. So we want to really dig into their mind about how they process that and how they would approach situations where it's like slippery slope situations, which unfortunately is just the reality of this business. You get into, I, I think, fairly often situations where it's like, all right, well, there's not a great scenario here are not a great outcome. There's kind of like a series of less than ideal outcomes. So how do we navigate to the best one of those? And, um, and we want to find people and build our team, people who really can come to the same outcome we can in like an, like an ethical, really logical sequence of thinking. Yeah. One thing, uh, one thing I found out a long time ago, I'll have, you know, if they're passing all the sniff tests and if it feels like it's going to be a good fit, um, I'll, ha- I'll send them a link. It's, it's called PSP metrics. It's an aptitude test. I'm sure they're not the only ones that do it, but that's who I use, but I pay around a hundred dollars a test and they have a construction manager specific aptitude test. And it's, it's interesting. I took it myself years ago when I first started doing them, but they ask you, you know, 200 random questions, kind of like a psychology test, but I, anyway, they're poking around for stuff. It's like, you know, when you go to a party, are you, you know, excited or nervous? You know, do you talk to a lot of people or stay back in the, in the, you know, the back corner? And it's funny, like they'll even kind of ask the same question again later on in the test. And I'm sure they're measuring, like, did you answer consistently? You know, how much time did you take on that second question? You know, and, uh, it's great. It, it, uh, you know, there's a problem. I'm over here reading it. There's like problem analysis slash judgment, um, energy planning and organization, frustration tolerance, which is going to be huge in our industry, team orientation, persuasiveness, human relation, uh, adaptability and thinking, and, and then an overall potential for success. And I've had some scenarios where, you know, I interviewed two guys for the job. I could kind of pick up on a few things through the interview, um, just kind of more of a gut feeling. But then when I got these results back, I was like, oh, yeah, my gut feeling was right. You know, this guy is really low on energy um, or this guy is, you know, really organized. And, and this test kind of tweaks out those answers for you. So it's been a great tool. You know, I've also it's also fun to pull these up like after you've hired somebody. And maybe they got a really low score in planning and organization. And you're like, oh, we'll work on it, whatever. And then like after a year of working with them, like you open up that that test and you're like, oh, my gosh, like this is why I'm frustrated at this employee because that's how he scored. And yeah, he's kind of he's always going to be that way. (laughs) So is it primarily personality driven yeah, or it's more it's more aptitude i guess it's personality based but it's it's construction management specific um, yeah so it's more like an aptitude test um, okay another thing i've found extremely valuable in also just being a team leader and working with my people is have you ever heard of the enneagram no no okay well look into it uh for those listeners of yours that know what the enneagram is you're probably getting excited because everyone loves to talk about it but this one is it's core motivations like what motivates you in your inner being and there's nine different types of people and you can have different wings it's just fascinating though like for me i'm i'm an enneagram one so i avoid it's all about conflict avoidance i avoid conflict by doing everything by the letter 
Like I, I'm a rule follower. If I'm split, you know, there's a right way and wrong way to do everything. Like I will reload the dishwasher because there's a more efficient way of doing it. Right. Uh, and anyway, it's just, you read the description of the Enneagram one and I'm like, it's like they're reading my mail. They, they have cameras in my house. How do you spell but, that? Yeah. E I, I, I'm, a, I'm a horrible speller, but I think it's E N N E A G R A M. If you just Google it, there's some free tests you can take, but I, I pay a little bit of money and have, have them take the professional one from the Enneagram Institute. And it's, you know, I mean, we talk about it at least monthly, you know, something will come up and be like, oh, you're reacting this way because you're an Enneagram eight. That's a challenger. And, and you avoid conflict by feeling like you have to be in control of everything. And it's fun. Like I'm, 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 I'm still gathering data. Like I said, I've only hired 10 people in my career. But I'm wondering if there's like a void, like if you're looking for a construction manager, you need to avoid these numbers. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just the way you're wired and you're not going to be good at management, you know, as opposed to like if, if I was hiring a sales guy, I would definitely look for certain kinds of Enneagram numbers because I know those people are going to be more apt in the selling world as opposed to the management world. So it's, it's just fascinating. It's another tool in my belt. May, not really for hiring. Like I said, I'm still I'm still gathering that data to be to be. Uh, I just have anecdotal evidence right now, and it might be unfair to some people, <laughs> but definitely something to help you manage people once they're once they're hired. So on the PSP metrics deal, is that something that they have guideposts or coaches to help you know kind of what's when you're in the bullseye, when you're kind of on the outskirts and when you're just completely off target? You get a range, you get a, you get a slide scale number for each one of those categories I mentioned. Yeah, so it helps you know whether you're completely off base or not. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you have some guy that like just bombed it, you're like, eh, maybe don't hire him. Have you ever made a, like a, a go, no go strictly off of, the PSP or has it just always been kind of like a supporting piece of information for you? When I've had, when I've had the luxury of having two great candidates at the same time, I'll, I'll weigh that heavily. You use that. Yeah. What about, so you said you had one real bad hire, not to put words in your mouth, correct me if I'm <laughs> wrong here. Did you put that real bad hire through the PSP metrics? Yeah. And he's, he scored great. He scored yeah. great. Yeah. But that um, just good. Oh, is that even these really good tools, which it sounds like this is one, still are not the panacea? Oh, absolutely. No, I, uh, once you start doing this more and more, you, you get more comfortable with it and you start to get a better gut sense of it. I definitely broke the rules of like, you're supposed to hire slow and fire fast. I did the exact opposite on this one. I was in a crunch. I, I had all these projects. I needed a warm body. He was great on paper and interviewed great. And it just was not a good fit. And, and I knew pretty soon it wasn't, but then how do you go advertising for a new project manager <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when your other guy just started? Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second then moving on to firing. Cause I, I reference that quote all the time, hire slow and fire fast. And I've had the exact same experiences on the times I've hired fast and I haven't done my due diligence, it's always come back to, to bite me on the firing side of things. Unfortunately, it's a reality of being a business owner to some extent. I think you can get really, really good at hiring and minimize it. But when we're dealing with people, there will always be an element. And especially it's, it becomes a numbers game too. The more people you hire, the more likely that at some point you're going to have this horrific decision of whether you need to let that person go. So on the firing side, how do you make that determination when you need to let someone go? Um, I've only had to do it once. <laughs> so yeah. I have a lot of experience. Right. But hindsight being 2020, um, and I learned a lot, especially with like workers' comp claims. Like I I going back to the Enneagram, I also have a, a peacemaker wing. So I avoid conflict like the plague. And so it's like those offer conversations like, oh, like I got to tell this guy he's doing a bad job, but then that I don't want that to make it worse. And um, anyway, the way I'm wired, I, I just avoid conflict. You're a you know? diplomat. You should have been a politician. There you go. There you go. So 
No, if I had any advice, I'd be like, hey, if you have a new hire, you need to document the criticism as you go. And I don't know if you need to have monthly meetings or bi-monthly meetings, but somewhere have a chain, like have a, have a um, documentation of like, hey, on January 2nd, I told Bob that, you know, he needs to start working on the details because he's letting, you know, a lot of stuff fall through the cracks that's costing us money. And, and, you know, it could be potential for firing. Um, and even though it's extremely awkward and it might piss him off, it's still got to get documented. Because if you just out of the blue, let someone go, they have some, some rights with Texas Workforce Commission. Yeah. I was not aware of. So. Yeah. Well, and to bolster what you're saying, so absolutely you should be documenting any sort of critiques or criticism that you have for employees along the way telling them what they need to do concretely to improve their performance and get it up to baseline. And then I'm not an attorney, so this isn't legal advice, but I have been told, do your own research, that like what you said, you also need to put into this, this needs to be in writing and it needs to include the statement, if at least in the state of Texas, if you do not change your behavior or remedy this deficiency, this will result in your termination. What you have to do to have as ironclad a case as you possibly can to keep um, workers' comp claims off of your, it's not called workers' comp, is it? um, What is it? Uh, Texas Workforce Commission, unemployment, unemployment off of your payroll taxes. But I find that very, very awkward, like what you said, because leaders were trying to maintain and instill this trust and this right. level of, of positive energy. And when you have to come out and just black and white threaten somebody like that, it, to me just doesn't feel right. So that is this, that's one of those slippery slope situations. Like I was kind of referencing earlier where as a business owner, sometimes you've got to choose between not great outcomes. So you've got the legally bulletproof route you can go, but that's a, probably a horrible leadership decision. Not a horrible, right. let me walk that back a little bit. That's arguably a bad leadership decision when it comes to trying to keep motivation of your team. Yeah, no, so, well, well said. Yeah, so you've got two very different uh, decisions to make that, that are optimized for two completely different things. Right. But I'll tell you, so my my mental model that I use for whether it's time to fire someone. And I got this from some book or some author. I don't know if it was from Vern Harnish or if this is Jim Collins or who. So credit to someone that I forgot who, who originally. DM you for credit, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is ask yourself these two questions. One, if this person came to me today and said they're quitting, would you be upset? And two, if you had the chance to hire them again, would you do it? And if your answer is no to either of those, you need to really look in the mirror and think about what you're doing right now with that person. And probably also think back to the the whole um, tagline, hire slow, fire fast, because we oftentimes we let it languish. So my favorite mental model is to really get clear on what, uh, where I feel like I am with, with a team member. Yeah, I, w- I would also say always be hiring. There's the there's the always be selling motto, right? But there's always the there's also the always be hiring. So even if like someone just randomly sends you the resume and you're you're fully set, you're not planning to hire unless someone quits on you. Like go sit down and have that interview. Like go spend thirty minutes to an hour having coffee with that guy if he looks good. I mean, if his resume is trash, then don't waste your time. But always be making those contacts. And so I say, Hey, listen, I don't have anything now, but you know, I'd like to get to know you, you know, start thinking about it and, and then save that, save that resume in a file. And so when it comes time, you're like, Oh, you know, over the last year, I've had three coffees with guys that I thought were kind of good reach out to them. Hey, can you find a new place? If you did, do you like where you landed? Do you want to jump ship again? That way you're not completely caught off guard with, with an empty, empty prospects list. Yeah. I think you just nailed it in something that almost nobody does. So critically important, we're all so busy going 100 miles an hour all the time that almost nobody does it. But that is one of those things that could save you a ton of money. 
that could save you that headhunter fee yeah. and it also save you a lot of time so that you've got resources available to you as soon as you realize you need to make that hire as opposed to spending three or four months going through it. If you've already got your Rolodex of, of three, four, five, a dozen names or resumes, you're so much further ahead than everybody else. Like, that's wonderful advice. And to me, there are a few ways that you can be constantly curating new resumes and new talent. One is we should probably all have like a jobs or careers section on our website that we just leave up all the time. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to, we don't have to say that we got open positions, but we could say something to the effect that, uh, um, listen, we're, we're always looking to meet uh, top performance in the industry. So you can reach out to us through this portal. And then the other thing that uh, my company does, we've gotten pretty consistent about it. And I think a lot of builders should do the same. That is just have a, like a regular newsletter that you send out to your fans slash clients slash your spec, you know, builder, investors, whoever, kind of like your stakeholders in your company, whoever they might be. And they might just be people, neighbors that are around where you build that want to keep up with what you do. But something that you just send out once a quarter, whatever, to me, I found is a really great way to just keep people apprised of what you're doing. And um, you can you can have that kind of information in there whenever you're about to start hiring. You got a list of even if it's just a hundred people on your newsletter, that's just more dissemination of that messaging. So it's just another way to go about communicating your needs. Yeah. Um, once you got them, how do you keep them? Yeah. So I, for me, I think the you know number one thing is <laughs> you just you, don't be a jerk because I think a lot of us are. Like I said, we just micromanage, right? And we're just we don't realize it. It's I think in good with good intention, but a lot of us micromanage and we run people off. So I think one is just make sure you have a really healthy environment where you trust your team. Uh, that's always worked well for me to do what you say. You know, if you've got a comp plan and you've got um, different bonus structure or, or anything that involves money, you sure as hell better do exactly what you say you're going to, or else people are going to walk on you. So for me, that's, absolutely critical. And then the thing that I'll do that's a little more controversial is I like sharing in the growth of the company. So I'll give employees that have proved their worth and their loyalty and their tenure, I will give them either um, a small ownership in the company, which is should be reserved for only those who've been with you for a really long time. But another way to accomplish that to much easier degree is profit participations or some sort of like employee stock option plan where they can participate in incremental value that they help the company achieve incremental valuation of the company. So I'm a big believer in that because I, part of our core value is think like an owner. And this is something that helps us align that core value or put it in practice where we can let people also be rewarded as an owner to some extent. So that helps everybody get in the same boat. And, um, and stick around for longer. There is a new book by Vern Harnish called Scaling Up Comp. So I'm a big fan of Vern Harnish's Scaling Up book, but Scaling Up Comp, he just wrote that. I'm not all the way through it yet, but I'm getting close. And one of the interesting tools that he talks about for retaining and keeping employees is always have a bag of money that this sounds a little manipulative, but it's not intended to be. That's out there in the ahead of them, right? So right. they've got a good amount of bonus that they can get or a good amount of profit participations that they can get. That's nine months out. If people psychologically, we, we actually would rather um, we go to a much greater extent to not lose money than we do to gain money. So if someone knows that they've got profits or bonus or whatever that's out there, and if jumping ship would mean them walking away from that, that ends up becoming a pretty strong motivator for people to want to stick around. Now, again, yeah. so, not manipulative, you need to uh, A, communicate what those timelines are going to be up front so that they can make those decisions. And B, you need to follow through on it when time comes. But I think that's a really good way to also keep people. So those are probably my top methods. How about you? Yeah. So um, I read Dave Ramsey's Entree Leadership right when it came out years ago. I mean, this might have been, gosh, 2010, if I had to guess. But it might have been before that. It was right near when I started my company in 07. 
but um, he always talked about make sure each like manager has an option to get a piece of the pie. And it's that whole, that whole profit sharing. So, you know, in, in my compensation package, I kind of intentionally leave the base low. And so that might scare them off at first, but then you get a much bigger piece of the pie, the profit. And I do that to reward excellence. So, you know, if you have a manager that does a really good job, you know, they're going to get quite a substantial, you know, profit sharing, extra profit sharing of that job. Whereas people that don't do so well managing, they, they sometimes get some, sometimes don't. But I know my top producers are, are making at least, you know, 10 to 20,000 more based on that profit sharing. And so, so I kind of. Is that the way it works? Like if you're performing mediocre, you get X percent of profits. But if you're performing really, really well, you get a higher percentage of the pie. When it's all said and done, that's the case. I haven't set up different. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I feel like it's my job. Like I'm not in the field anymore. I do mainly pre-construction with the clients and then hand off the complete job. I mean, I don't, I hardly communicate with clients after the job starts. Definitely don't line up subcontractors, but I feel like it's my job to make my project manager shine. So if that means, you know, I guess it really, it starts with my processes. Like I've had one, one guy I was talking to last week, um, ask him about this podcast. He's like, you know what? One of the main reasons I came over to you is because I loved your systems. Like you were organized and the company I was at was all over the board and I hated it. And so, you know, getting those systems in place that support my team so they can shine, you know, investing in the software you need to invest in, whether that's build a train, co-construct, I kind of do my hodgepodge of my own stuff for all those, those tasks, but just investing in that uh, infrastructure so that your project managers have all the tools they need to be successful, you know, and letting them know, asking them occasionally, Hey, do we need to change anything? You know, I think this is really a good idea, but is it, is it actually working in the field and making sure you listen to their concerns and address them? Let's see here. We also, I love treating my guys to trips. <laughs> really? We just, yeah. We just, well, for instance, throughout the years, like I've taken them to, to IBS, uh, for two years now, this year's no one wants to go to Orlando, so we might not do that. But uh, in years past, like we'll go to IBS and then I'll fly everyone's spouses in on that Friday and then pay for a couple extra nights of hotels so that them and their wives can go go enjoy the town and the sites and, and have a, a wonderful experience on the company. We've done fishing trips. We've done axe throwing. Uh, we've done zip lining. Um, let's see here. Oh, we just, I mean, one of my project managers owns several hundred acres out past Menard in the hill country. And we all went out there um, last Thursday and Friday and got in some whitetail deer hunts. And so that was, that was fantastic. Awesome. Um, and then our, our, our Christmas party is coming up, but we'll usually, it's usually fun. We'll, we're all competitive. We'll usually have like minute to win it games uh competing for $25 gift cards to different places but it's funny the spouses really get into it and anyway it's good time good time I I really feel like these guys are family you know one of my questions I mentally ask myself is like can I can I write this person in my will like do I trust them enough to take care of my kids if I die you know you know you mentioned like our names on the door and we're small companies and so it's it really matters who you hire and so if you don't feel like you can write them in your will, especially if you own a smaller company, that might be a big red flag. Yeah. I'm really impressed with, I mean, I've always been impressed with the ways that you run your business, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show, but I'm really impressed with how you build that company culture. So that's integral to me. What you're talking about, the way you have these shared experiences, that's something that not many people do. And I think it probably is a testament to part of why, you know, you built a, you built a really solid company and solid reputation. Yeah. Another thing that I think is maybe not even worth mentioning, but it might not be normal is every week we have a company meeting. So Wednesdays at 10 o'clock, we're all in our conference room. We're reviewing everybody's jobs, you know, asking, you know, what do I need to get involved in? Are there any change orders? What's the schedule looking like? 
Um, and then we'll all go out to a nice lunch. So every week I'm, you know, I'm dropping probably over a hundred dollars on lunch for everybody. And it's a good time, you know, for everyone to catch up on everyone else's families and what's going on in their lives. And it's not just all about work. That's awesome. I love that. You also gamify your company and your culture too, which is pretty cool. So I think you have the, what is it? The golden broom or something like that. There you go. Yeah. That's a good one. Cleanest job site. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever project manager has the cleanest overall average job sites for that week uh, gets a a $25 gift card and gets to sign the golden broom. Yeah. (laughs) Gamified gamified building, which is a big motivator. Um, I'm just curious on that. I've wanted to ask you this for a while. So how, do they how are they empowered to keep a clean job site do they have a certain amount of contingency or a certain amount of budget where they can call uh your cleaning contractor to come out and do rough cleans or is that partly on them and part on their and their scope of work to be you know sweeping the job site clean or staying on top of the subs like how are they empowered and what tools do they have to do that to yeah. accomplish uh, it's a little of all of the uh, the casserole you just mentioned. Um, okay. We definitely have it in our budgets, a, a you know job site cleaning budget. And you know if you it goes back if if you do a really good job of keeping your subcontractors accountable, then you don't have to spend all of that budget usually, and so you get a percentage of that extra profit at the end of the job. So the better managers get more profit. That's a, that's a good example of how that one works. You know, as far as doing it yourself, I mean, they all have DeWalt cordless blowers in their trucks. And so it, it, it does kind of motivate them to, at the end of the day, spending 10 minutes doing it themselves, you know, if yeah. it's at, at rough framing or whatever. Sure. Um, but then, yeah, I'm sure my job site contractors are busy on Mondays with my jobs because everyone wants it nice and pretty on Tuesday. That's when I, when I make That's my you drive. Right. snapshots. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but it's amazing, like, and the whole reason I do that is, is, you know, this, you could be the worst builder in town, failing every inspection, taking two years to build a simple house. Homeowners hate you. You know, your walls are already rotting, uh, you know, behind all the pretty things. But if you have a clean job site, the general public's going to drive by that site and be like, God, that gossip guy, he's, he's got his act together, man. He's a fantastic builder. Look at this. And it's all because something completely trivial uh, jobs. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to do. That's why I, I reward it. And then the opposite's also true. You could be the absolute, you know, everything I just mentioned, you could have the opposite of that, but have a dirty job site and the general public's going to drive by and be like, oh my God, the guy's, the guy doesn't have his act together. What a mess. And I think that's some of the best marketing that any home builder can do. Have a clean job site with really well-presented signs and, we spend extra money now on putting up as opposed to the rent defense companies, which are inevitably a little cheaper than what I'm describing here. But um, consider the premium uh, marketing expense and one of the best marketing expenses I think you can spend. We'll go buy all of our own coal and mm-hmm. we'll install them in concrete ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that way we've just got this perfectly aligned, really square plumb fence for the entire job site or entire um job duration man it looks so much better and i think that it just presents a much better face to the public um big proponent of that right now like what you said i mean it it's crazy how it's just perception it is all about perception and if you have a clean job site that looks really professional you're gonna get business and you're gonna build your reputation so it's one of the things we do. My, uh, my latest shenanigan is, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in Mexico for my nonprofit, but uh, I have a relationship down there. It's a sign company and I've got them making me custom windscreens for all of these custom fences that we, job site fences that we install. And this is probably, oh, I've quoted it here in the States. This is probably $15,000 worth of um, custom windscreens in the United States because it's expensive to make. I'm getting for like 4000 down there. And this, <laughs> there 
or a top printer in Monterey, Mexico. So um, that's my latest shenanigan that I've uh, been working on over the last few weeks. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I think we're right at about an hour. We got to wrap this up. You got any concluding thoughts or questions that are on your mind? No, I, th- I think you got to work on the company culture. Um, I've had two employees through the years um, leave the company. One was for more money and one, I, suppose be, I think the other one just burned out. Um, but both of them came back months later and be like, hey, well, one of them was about a year later. That job that he got hired for ended. And he's like, man, I really like working for you. You have any jobs available? That particular one I didn't at the time. And then the other hire, I hired him back. <laughs> wow so, yeah yeah very cool anyway very cool. yeah have a have a have a company culture such that they can't walk away i love yeah. it yeah because they're i mean we're you're naive if you think your guys aren't getting phone calls oh of course yeah like weekly in this market <laughs> yeah um luke great episode man we we waited way too long to actually do this so I know, right we need to do this again we need to do this again next time i think we uh i don't know we'll figure out another suite of topics but uh a lot to cover this was like one tenth of what we could have discussed so all right well man I, I appreciate the opportunity um yeah hello to your listeners how many listeners how many what's your stats these days we've got uh we got close to nine nineteen thousand uh but some are some kind of meander in and out of Mm. maybe they listen to one every six weeks um so probably our active community i think it hovers right around like guys that are always listening are probably close to about four thousand. yeah man fantastic congratulations man that's really you've done a lot of hard work and i enjoy listening to them as well um it's yeah. funny, before I met you in person, I'm like, man, this guy's got the best radio voice I've ever heard. I wonder <laughs> what he looks like. And uh, you you don't have a face for radio, which surprised yeah. me. You're actually, you're actually a decent looking guy, too. So whole package. Yeah, man. You know what? I, I always like go check out at the grocery store. This is where and people are like, oh, wow, you must sing. And and it just pisses me off whenever someone asks me that because I'm like, nope, God did not <laughs> give me one of a sing voice otherwise i'd be on an island somewhere right now no (laughs) limited to podcasting construction podcasting but uh hey at least we get to have some cool conversations and and uh connect with good good like-minded guys in the field in the industry yeah yeah honored honored to be your friend all right buddy well let's uh let's do it again soon and uh until then happy holidays to you and the family merry christmas later All right, see ya.